Welcome to Women in Academia podcast with Irena, where I will interview female researchers to understand the challenges that women in academia are facing today. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm very happy today to have Dr. Julie Beadle on the podcast. Julie is my friend and colleague from Marx Institute. Hello, Julie. How are you? Good. Hi, Irina. Really good. Happy to be here. Thank you so much. Can you introduce yourself and tell me more about your current position? Yeah, of course. So my name is Julie and I'm currently working at Macquarie University in Sydney, Australia. Yeah, currently working from home because of COVID restrictions, but that's the university that I'm working at. And so at Macquarie, there's a facility called the Hearing Hub. My research focuses on um, aging and hearing loss. So at the Hearing Hub, it's a really great building. There's hearing and speech clinics on the bottom floor of the building. And then on the upper floors, there's a few different research institutes and yeah, groups that are conducting research on psychology and hearing um, these types of topics. So yeah, really great place to be um, right after my PhD, which I did um, at the Marx Institute at Western Sydney University. Um, and that project focused on aging and speech perception in noise. Thank you for introducing yourself. Can you tell me more about your background and what brought you to the research? Yeah, so I'm, you might be able to tell from my accent, I'm from Canada originally. I grew up on the west coast of Canada, just outside of Vancouver. And I did an undergraduate degree, a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology, um, at a university called St. Francis Xavier University. And that university is called St. FX for short. And that university is on the east coast of Canada in a province called Nova Scotia. And the university is in a really small town um, called Antigonish. Um, so it's a small university town. Uh, there's about 4,000 um, people in the community there. And then the students come in in September and that's about another 4,000 students. Um, so they double the population of the mm-hmm. town. And it, I had a really great experience at St. FX. It's actually kind of runs in my family. So my grandfather on my mom's side, he went to St. Avex and he graduated in 1938. So it's been around for a while. And he actually came back. He was a professor there in biology and he so taught there for many years. And then my mom went to that school. So she, I graduated in 74 and then I graduated in 2015. So that school kind of runs in the family. It's a really special place for all of us. Um, But that's where I originally got interested in research. So I did my psychology degree there, as I said, and I worked in the St. FX Perception Lab uh, on my honors project and also on a summer internship. And those, uh, the projects that I worked on at ZNFX were actually focused on, um, more on health promotion and more specifically looking at how um, to improve comfort, younger adults' comfort levels around seeing breastfeeding. So we know that the World Health Organization recommends breastfeeding for the first six months of an infant's life. However, the, the breastfeeding rates in that area of Canada and east coast of Canada in particular are quite low. So we were kind of looking at why potentially this could be the case. Um, one potential reason is that mothers feel uncomfortable to breastfeed in public. Mm-hmm. And so we were looking at how younger adults, whether they produce detectable 
expressions of discomfort when they see a mother breastfeeding that these mothers might be picking mm -hmm. up on. And then also we designed, I worked on a project one summer designing a music video parody trying to improve younger adults' comfort levels around seeing breastfeeding. Um, and we did some research on whether that exposure to that video could help kind of improve comfort levels. Yeah, we, so we, I worked on that during my undergrad and it was a really great hands-on research experience mm -hmm. that I got in the perception lab working with a professor, Dr. Aaron Austin. And so, yeah, getting that really great hands-on experience, even in my second and third years of my undergrad, mm -hmm. really made me interested. And I had always been thinking about doing um, audiology or speech pathology. Mm -hmm. And so then I was looking at research opportunities in that area for mm -hmm. um, further studies. Thank you for sharing that. I love that your research on breastfeeding, I think it's very important and have very important practical implications. Can you tell me, have you found that it was helpful to watch videos of breastfeeding, like to change attitudes or? Yeah, so we published a paper in the Journal of Human Lactation on mm -hmm. that um, project. So I worked with other students to design this music video parody. Mm -hmm. um, we have that video. And so we did a study where we showed a video to mm -hmm. industry psychology students and measured their discomfort kind of before mm -hmm. and after they saw the video. We had a, a survey with different images of mm -hmm. mothers breastfeeding. And I, yeah, I think we did find some preliminary results mm -hmm. that it was kind of improving mm -hmm. uh, their ratings of mm -hmm. comfort or discomfort. Um, but yeah, future research definitely needs to yes. be conducted in that area. But it was a good kind of mm -hmm. initial study and not a lot of research has been done mm -hmm. in that area yet. Great. What are the biggest challenges you have faced and obstacles you have to overcome on your journey? And if you had to start over, would you do something differently and what that would be? So I came to Sydney from Canada to do my PhD and I think being an international student really has its own set of unique challenges. I think it's an amazing experience. You get to see a different part of the world and meet people from all over the world. But I think I really struggled, particularly in the first year of kind of getting settled in Australia, um, I didn't know anyone before I came, um, getting set up with a good yeah, a good place to live. Yeah, I just struggled with a bit of homesickness and mm -hmm. um, felt a bit lonely sometimes. So I think, yeah, that's something that was a bit of a challenge on my journey. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think maybe one thing that I would do differently in relation to that is just to be more open and honest about how I was feeling in that first year with people. But yeah, it all worked out. I think like any transition uh, mm -hmm. can be tricky and I made some amazing friends and it really, yeah, Sydney started to feel mm -hmm. like home. Um, but yeah, I just, I would say if you, if you're at a university and you, yeah, see an international student, maybe reach out, see if they want to grab coffee sometime or show them around if they're really new to the city. I think it's nice to, yeah, I think they would, it goes a long way. I think mm -hmm. most of them would really appreciate it. Yes, I agree with you. Can you tell me how do you manage your work-life balance? Right. So... I think I've gotten better at trying to balance my work-life balance near the end of my PhD in comparison to the beginning. I think mm -hmm. in the beginning, I felt like if I wasn't working as hard as I was, 
in the last three months of my honors program that I wasn't working hard enough. Mm -hmm. And I think an honors program is a sprint, whereas a PhD is a marathon and work-life balance and research is, yeah, it's really important in order to to get to the end of the marathon um, and not burn out. So what I tried to do was set working hours. I treated the PhD as a job, so really tried to work on it from nine to five, take a proper lunch break, and then plan some other activity for the evening. And keeping that schedule really helped me to turn off in the um, in the evening or on the weekends Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes if there's a deadline then you have to yeah Mm -hmm. be a bit more flexible with that schedule but I think for the most part I was able to stick with that nine to five and it really helped me to kind of have my brain on what it should be on and then to try and think about something else and have a break on those off times I think just I think it's important to yeah plan out use a planner plan out what tasks Mm -hmm. you need do for work but I think it's also just as important to plan out things that you're going to do in your break time uh, Mm -hmm. making plans with friends I think in my last year especially when I was trying to write up my Mm -hmm. PhD um, I found that yeah just taking a break is really important and it will help you to be more productive Mm -hmm. the next day Um, if you're constantly trying to to work then you're not going to get anywhere very quickly is what I I learned Mm -hmm. but I think it's yeah it's a learning process for sure Mm -hmm. so weekends would be free from PhD Mm -hmm. yeah try to keep them free I think sometimes I did go especially when I was writing up I would go to the state library in Sydney Mm -hmm. which is a really nice library so I found and I would get a nice coffee before so if I had to do some work on the weekend I would try and make you know switch it up so then a new location Mm -hmm. and in the city and so I just made it a bit more of an event I guess and tried to make sure I had some plans in the evening yeah so that's uh, yeah I tried to keep it yeah quite a nine to five thing um and knowing when you're kind of I know everyone's different but I'm definitely more productive in the morning so Mm -hmm. scheduling tasks that you know require a bit more brain power in the morning is probably good and some other types of things in the afternoon Um, But it is hard, I think, especially with research, because you can always be doing something. You can always Mm -hmm. be reading an article. So it's important to, yeah, I think it's really important to try and figure out what works for you and then stick stick to that as much as possible. Mm -hmm. And when you do have take a break, yeah, try and make it fun, like exercise is important. um, And yeah, trying to catch up with friends. I think I really enjoyed going to like Zumba or dance classes Mm -hmm. and then inviting a friend along, making it social. Um, Just, you know, yeah, getting some exercise in, but also having it not be too regimented, just some Mm -hmm. kind of fun exercise where you don't have to think too much. I found that helpful for me to just take a break. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Can you tell me more about your research? Yeah, sure. So I guess... Broadly, my research focuses on aging and speech perception and noise. So I'll talk more specifically about my um, PhD research. Mm -hmm. So yeah, and I've been working in this field called cognitive hearing science. And so the tagline for this field of research is we hear with our ears, but we listen and understand with our 
um, our ears and our brain. So there's this cognitive component um, when we're listening in a challenging situation, if there's background noise mm -hmm. or maybe someone has an accent that you're not familiar with. Um, in these challenging situations, there's a cognitive component to listening. Um, it's more effortful. And so I've been working in this space, looking at how cognitive components like attention and working memory um, are really important for speech understanding in these more challenging situations. So our auditory system needs to be working well. That's a really important part of speech mm -hmm. perception, but there's also a cognitive component that's really important, especially in those, um, yeah, a noisy situation. But most of the work in this field of cognitive hearing science has been, they've used speech perception tests that are auditory only. So typically you are listening to a sentence that's presented in some background noise and asked to report back what you hear. And mm -hmm. so we're only, it's auditory only, mm -hmm. you're just getting the speech through the headphones. But um, in day-to-day -day life, uh, for most people, uh, speech perception is an auditory visual experience. Mm -hmm. You usually see the person that you're talking to, and there's other visual information in the background. Something that I um, was investigating in my PhD thesis is how, um, yeah, first of all, how looking, seeing a talker can help mm -hmm. for speech perception and noise. We, we know that people can improve by about 30% when they're presented with a person's face. However, I also looked at how um, adding visual distraction, more of a um, real life visual scene, how does that affect speech perception? So that's something that we looked at and I tested both younger and older adults. And we have some preliminary evidence that when there's some extra visual distraction, um, it seems to be particularly challenging for the older adults in comparison to the younger adults who are still getting this mm -hmm. benefit. So there could be something um, going on with the older adults there. Maybe they're having a harder time focusing when there's mm -hmm. this um, visual distraction. Yeah, so I'm also interested in developing more um, real-life listening tests that mm -hmm. can be useful in a clinical situation, so in a hearing clinic situation. So um, that's more what I'm focused on during my position at Macquarie University. We're trying to develop a, a speech perception test that, again, incorporates more aspects of real-life listening, like being able to see a talker, mm -hmm. um, some uh, a more real life visual scene. Um, and we also have my colleague Jörg has these recordings of noise from real life situations like mm -hmm. a cafeteria or a train station. So we're incorporating these noise recordings into the speech comprehension test. Mm -hmm. uh, so these tests, um, are they for younger people or adults, older adults? Yeah, so we've really just, we've been in the development phase. We're just trying to set the test mm -hmm. up and have been testing it on younger adults so far. But mm -hmm. in the future, we would really like to test um, it mm -hmm. on older adults and both younger and older adults with a hearing loss, um, compare performance between those groups. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Can you also tell me like what kind of visual distractions you're using? Yeah, so, so far, what I've used is just other people's talking faces. So mm -hmm. if you're at a cafe, there might be, you might be sitting with one person or there might be four other people at the table. So just, we've just added other people's faces that are uttering sentences. So you're mm -hmm. getting some movement. That's what we've used so far. Um, but I know that there are other studies who have 
kind of set up a more restaurant-like scene, have, might have a waiter walking mm -hmm. back and forth. Um, so yeah, there's lots of different distraction. I think in the future, that's something I'd like to investigate further is, um, yeah, what types of visual distractors would be more mm -hmm. distracting for different groups of listeners and comparing, looking at, yeah, the difference between different types of distractors. Mm -hmm. Can region of the face also influence I listening? Think, for example, looking to the eyes versus looking to the mouth? Yeah, it's interesting. My supervisors, Chris Davies and Jisun Kim, they've done some research looking at this. Mm -hmm. And so our whole face, we have all these muscles in our face mm -hmm. that are moving when we are producing speech. And so they've done some studies where even when they cover a person's mouth, mm -hmm. um, but they can see the rest of the person's face, so they can see the eyes and the cheeks, mm -hmm. um, you're still going to get a benefit. If you can see that person's face and you're covering mm -hmm. the mouth, you're still going to get uh, a benefit to some extent. That benefit will improve when you can see the mouth. So you're the mouth and lip region is important, mm -hmm. but looking at the eyes and other facial regions, seeing those muscle movements will, will help as well. Mm -hmm. That's good to hear, especially like now that majority of people over the world are wearing uh, face masks and I think some people are worried about understanding other people because mouth is covered. That's a really good point, Irina. Um, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that, but I think yeah, that's a really, yeah, that's a really interesting kind of application to, to this research. You're right, a lot of people are wearing masks right now. And I think, yeah, particularly for someone with a hearing loss who is maybe trained in lip mm -hmm. reading, um, that could be an extra, extra challenge for them if they're doing groceries or something. Um, yeah, that's something, yeah, to be aware about for sure. Mm, thank you. What are your hopes for your future research? I would love if the research that I've been doing now um, could inform some kind of practical training mm -hmm. for older adults that could be useful for them um, to help them to understand speech in noisy situations that are more visually complex. Like I was saying, most of the research in this area has been just auditory only. So I think if this research could inform a training program or some practical strategies, mm -hmm. that would be be really nice. I think we still have, there's still lots of questions in this area of visual speech, mm -hmm. visual distraction, so more we, work needs to be done still, but I think, yeah, it's promising and could be beneficial for older adults in the long run. There's also some interesting work um, on a visually guided hearing aid, mm -hmm. so a hearing aid that um, can kind of connect to glasses. I think it's in very early stages but so the glasses could potentially sense where the eyes were focusing and that information gets sent to the hearing aid and so it can try and zoom in the hearing aid can zoom in on one person and try to keep the other people the other noise quiet hearing aid technology is always evolving but I think where my research could potentially fit into that puzzle is yeah, if there was a more realistic real life listening test you could test whether this new hearing aid um, mm -hmm. works well in a more realistic situation. I think mm -hmm. there's standardized um, sentence recognition tasks that are really important to use as well. But in addition to those standardized tests, how is this hearing aid working in a more realistic um, mm -hmm. test as well? So I think that that would be something interesting to look mm -hmm. at for the future. That's amazing. Can you tell me what are the top issues you see women in academia face today? So I'm quite early 
career. So, uh, but from my perspective, I think some challenges that maybe both women um, and men would experience are, yeah, I think it's quite getting grants and funding is mm -hmm. quite competitive. That's challenging. Also, I'm look in the process of looking and applying for jobs. I think especially right now, mm -hmm. um, the job market is quite competitive. Um, and also, like we were talking about work-life balance before, I think that could potentially be challenging for women, balancing family life, family mm -hmm. obligations, and yeah, and their career, especially potentially now when they aren't able to go to the office and have that mm -hmm. kind of separation. I know for me, I don't have a family, so I, I wouldn't, yeah, I can't speak too much into that. I don't have my own children but I think yeah not being able to go to the office could be quite challenging mm -hmm. potentially and I know for me even just for myself I find having my office space and going mm -hmm. there doing the work there and then leaving mm -hmm. leaving the um the research at the office and going home I just find that uh, kind of a better way to kind of balance work life so I think yeah that could balancing juggling different commitments could be particularly challenging for women but I also know that so many women who do such a great job of it and have really good strategies so yeah that's those are my thoughts I think on that mm -hmm. thank you what is the one piece of advice you would give to somebody thinking about academia or to somebody just starting out in academia I think one phrase that really helped me throughout my PhD I can't even remember where I heard it but it was plan the plan, but don't plan the outcome. So plan, make a research plan, um, but you can't control what the results <laughs> are, even though if you think you might have an idea um, or a, a nice storyline, yeah, you can plan your plan, but you can't plan the outcome and uh, it's okay. You can, that's part of the research process. Even things, if things don't go according to plan, you can adjust and yeah, it's not reflection on you. It's just a reflection of the, the research process. Mm -hmm. um, something else that um yeah I've been thinking about recently is that yeah just you are enough I think those are three words that really um stand out to me so if you're interested in pursuing research um yeah don't don't feel like you yeah won't be able to um contribute something I think yeah everyone has a uh, value to bring especially to research and so yeah you are enough you can do it um yeah and just do your best that's all you can do Thank you. That's such a great advice. Thank you so much, Julie, for being my guest today. It was a pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. I really, really enjoyed being on the podcast. Thank you. Good luck with your future research. Thank you. That's all for today's episode. Thank you for listening.